We are the tribe from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating all rivals never gets old. Making our way to the Big Sky Conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. Welcome back, Try from the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Marceau, joined today in a little more lonely fashion, co-host Dallas Hammer, holding it down Spokane. Dallas, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. NHL draft was last week. Uh, the Ducks had a couple first round picks and a couple second round picks. Uh, they have committed finally fully to just the outright tank job it takes to rebuild a team in the NHL. So I'm finally like the darkest part of the night has happened. And now I have like the future to look forward to and optimism is just going to continue flowing out of me. Which sounds pretty average to, to what the average listeners are going to expect. Uh, you know what? We're we're pretty close, man, to the weekly episodes returning. You know, this is we have a house cleaning episode essentially to talk about conference realignment stuff. And look, Johnny Ballgame, we got to give him credit right now. He is a de facto Tubbs contributor today because of an interview he did on June 30th with Jason Eck, which also makes Jason Eck an unofficial contributor because uh, honestly. In that 25-minute interview, there's a lot of stuff worth covering in my mind. And thank God, because that gives us an excuse for an episode. We're just going to jump right into Around the Bar, brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. And look, the story that you and I chose, and you made the right call, Dallas, of saying, hey, let's hold off a week recording during the realignment news to make sure that we had a little bit of time to see where the pause was i mean i don't think anyone's going to say the dust has settled in college football realignment but i think we know what the basic moves are and we know what we're all going to sit and wait for and we're because this is tubs the club we're talking idaho we're gonna connect this to both to what vandal fans should look for in future realignment because spoiler alert nothing changed for idaho yet but that doesn't mean that the scene isn't being set for I'm not saying change within the next year, Dallas, but it's pretty clear that college football is in a fluid situation right now. And that, you know, five, four or five years from now, people should expect that the landscape of football itself is different. But I want to throw it to you to set the table because you did a ton of research to make sure that uh, we could be, let's say, clear on what's happened and what to look for. So without further ado, Dallas, take it away, set the table on conference realignment. Absolutely. So most of this that I'm going to break down for everybody is pretty much ripped right out of Dennis Dodd's reporting and articles at Dennis Dodd CBS. He's one of the best uh, FBS reporters around. A lot of you guys might know some of this stuff, uh, but I wanted to kind of approach this uh, from uh, the standpoint of maybe a Vandal who only cares about Vandal football, maybe knows a little bit about the Big Sky Conference and really just doesn't care about college football outside of their own team. So I kind of wanted to give a, a just a big general outlook of what's going on. So June 30th, USC and UCLA ended their 94-year relationship with the Pac-12 and announced that they were going to move to the Big Ten. Why? Money. The Pac-12's media rights are hilariously low and awful, um, mostly thanks to how bad the Pac-12 network ended up being. Um, Larry Scott butchered that, and it was so hard to get it unless you were really on cable. 
it was just it didn't end up paying out the way that the schools expected it to so that was kind of the death knell that was about 10 years ago that they kind of just already got behind the ball and fell behind other conferences uh usc and ucla moving over to the big 10 first gets them into the big two conferences that seem to be establishing the sec and the big 10 that both are now 16 teams at, the, at this point uh the pac-12 was cut super off guard with this um they just they didn't they didn't see it coming the big 10 this helps them out they they move into california they get more eyes more exposure the pac-12 has no idea what to do uh last year texas and oklahoma announced they were moving to the sec an alliance was formed between the acc the big 10 and the pac-12 that alliance obviously has been broken and the pac-12 has no idea what to do the departure of usc and ucla is expected to change the media rights uh payout per team from about $42 million to about $30 million. So every single school in the Pac-12 just lost about $12 million just based on USC and UCLA moving. Uh, the media rights for the Big Ten are projected to now be about $50 million a team. So th that's that's why you make the move. USC and UCLA are going to make a bunch of extra money doing this. July 4th, the Pac-12 comes out and says that they're going to start negotiating their next TV contract immediately with at least the 10 remaining members and possibly more. Those are about the only hard facts that have happened. Everything else is is rumors and speculation with you know insider sources. But kind of the high points here: the Big Ten is at sixteen teams. They have a it's believed they have a standing offer to Notre Dame to make a seventeenth team. That obviously doesn't really line up super well from a conference standpoint. Having seventeen teams, I mean, the Big Sky walked around with thirteen for so long, and it's it's been a pain for us. The thought is Oregon and Washington are very unhappy with the Pac-12. They do not want to be the the big fish in this little tiny pond. So they are trying to get into the Big Ten. If Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington all ended up in the the Big Ten, that's 19 teams. Maybe Stanford makes it 20th. Uh, that's an, an, a historic Notre Dame rival. Maybe that's kind of how they they bridge the gap, make it to 20 teams, and you you split it 10 and 10. Fairly easy to do that. However, industry sources claim that Oregon and Washington just aren't big enough brands for people to care, and that they don't bring enough money to the Big Ten for the Big Ten to really care about it. Now, if Notre Dame decides to go to the Big Ten, maybe that changes things. From the Pac-12 standpoint, Phil Knight is supposedly cold calling conferences trying to find Oregon a new home and trying to get them out of the Pac-12 because he thinks that that's falling apart. As you can see in the comment section, guys talking about Sean saying, uh, Sean the Podfather saying the Pac-10, Pac I guess at this point, could completely implode. The Big 12 could implode. The Cougs are going to get completely screwed here, and that's we'll get into that in just a second. The belief with the Pac-12 that first they were trying to build a partnership with the ACC, maybe do a championship game in Las Vegas. That rumor kind of fizzled out. Then there was a rumor that the Arizona schools, Colorado and Utah would move to the Big 12. Then there was a rumor that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 will merger. But it's it's been mostly radio silence. The Big 12 was ravaged last year by Texas and Oklahoma leaving. So they added BYU, Cincinnati, Houston and UCF. Just kind of started pulling from the G5 and independent BYU trying to make them more sustainable and stay in the power five. Uh, the rumors of Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah kind of make sense because BYU is in that same geographical location. All of a sudden, they make a huge expansion into the mountain time zone. It doesn't mean that Idaho and Boise State have a shot. So calm down. I see the, the there's definitely people making fun of Boise State already for thinking that they're going to get into the Pac-12 or the Big 12. We'll get into that as well. Uh, there's been other rumors that maybe Oregon and Washington will move to the Big 12, but realistically what we're seeing so far is it's all these big names talking about moving to bigger conferences for more money. The SEC, again, I mentioned 16 teams. 
There's speculation they could try to go to 20, maybe like adding like Florida State, Clemson, Miami, like North Carolina or somebody like that, trying to just make the conferences larger and larger. The ACC is kind of the weird odd man out here. They signed this awful TV deal that essentially locks their rights to ESPN until 2036. And the rights are so ironclad that schools can't even get out of the ACC without paying potentially a half a billion dollars to get out of the conference. So the ACC is kind of locked up. What this all looks like is the power conferences are just trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger. There's going to be schools that are going to get left out, like Wazoo and Oregon State are the two smallest, weakest, least cared about schools in the Pac-12. If the Pac-12 were to collapse and, and all those schools try to find new homes... Those are probably the two that end up in the Mountain West because there's there's just not a whole lot of home for them. So there's a, a bunch of things moving, but realistically what we're looking at is the, there's super conferences being built. The, the SEC and the Big Ten might be stopped at 16 teams for now. Projection is they're only going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And college football as we know it is is really changing. Um, that's, that's the realignment from the FBS standpoint. From the FCS standpoint, if anybody's interested, the WAC is rebuilding football. They just had two teams leave the WAC. And so the WAC is back down to six playing football members. Uh, Lamar Lamar left the Southland Conference, then went to the WAC, and they're now, now going back to the Southland. Incarnate Word has decided to stay with the Southland and just not go to the WAC at all. So even that, we've talked about it on the show before, that the WAC was trying to build up another Western, con- you know, Western football conference. That doesn't look super great right now. So, Brian, what what does this mean for Idaho, where we're seeing all of this change at the major schools? How does that trickle down and affect us? Well, for this next year, it means nothing because Idaho is going to continue to be in the big sky. Long term, there's it's kind of a small, small picture, long term, big picture, long term to look at. In the small picture, there's really two conferences that Idaho can pay attention to right now. If Idaho fans are just itching to find anything uh, about moving conferences, or having the big sky change itself, the first thing you're looking at is what happens with the Mountain West in terms of the Pac-12. Actually, no, that's wrong. What happens with the Pac-12? If the Pac-12 dies, that essentially shuts the door on not just Idaho, but any FCS team moving up to FBS in terms of an invite because there's just not going to be really any reason for the, a mountain West with if back 12 dies, the presumption is that places like Washington state and Oregon state will join the mountain West, which would make the mountain West objectively uh, a stronger, more interesting conference than it is today. But if you're an FCS fan that shuts the door to trickle down effects, because they're if, if Washington state and Oregon state go to the mountain West, unless the mountain West thinks it can become some like super mid tier power conference, which maybe whatever, uh, there isn't anyone moving, which means there isn't any trickle. So if the mountain, conversely, if the Pac-12 survives and chooses to invite some Mountain West institutions, which at this point, my understanding, Dallas, is the Pac-12 has been open about not really having interest in inviting Mountain West uh, institutions, but you're raising your hand. I was just going to say, I have a million notes on that. I can fill in a bunch of information about that if you'd like. Yeah, dude, do it real quick. I mean, we're, we're talking about it, but Absolutely. with the understanding at this point, best information I had is Pac-12 is not interested in Mountain West institutions. Have you heard similar or? Yes, very, very similar. So the Pac-12, uh, for anybody that doesn't follow the Pac-12 too terribly much, they call themselves the Conference of Champions, but they also, they pride themselves on their academics. 
that's a, a very important thing for them is that they they're the best and smartest universities because they they have that uppity aura around them i guess that realistically means a lot of the the mountain west teams just aren't aren't going to qualify every school in the pac 12 right now is a, a an r1 institute essentially what that means is they're a doctoral university with very high research activity per the carnegie classification the mountain west teams that are r1 schools are colorado state nevada reno Nevada, Las Vegas, New Mexico, and Utah State. Do any of those five, Brian, sound like teams that would would make sense in the Pac-12 to you? If I squint, I can say like, well, Utah State pairs up as a theoretical rival with Utah. But in terms of broad, uh, broadly what you're getting at, no, not really. Um, yeah. Especially if like the driver, if part of the driver for football is like you just said, is prestige of the institution, but uh eyes that are going to be magnetized by that school. Well, Utah State is the number three school in the state of Utah. Colorado State, while well, a great college, is um, not the num- even the number one drawer in Colorado, which is already University of Colorado, who Lord knows if they even end up wanting to stay in the Pac-12. Um, I've heard people reference BYU, but BYU is already going to join the Big 12, and there's no reason for a school like BYU to want to bail on the Big 12 for a sinking ship in the Pac-12. Plus, you just referenced the attitude that university presidents, chancellors have towards institutions. I just don't think that the conference with Cal Berkeley is tripping over itself to invite a BYU, which, look, no put down to our Mormon friends, but the University of BYU uh, let's say feels very differently about some social issues that Cal and Stanford feel quite strongly about. So I, I, I don't see that as realistic. So in broadly speaking, based off what you've talked about, I think if you're a vandal, you should, you don't really need to pay attention. If your draw, if what is drawing you to watching conference realignment is, Hey, if, if these things, in the power five conferences change, it'll change for Idaho. You can you should probably stop paying attention at this point because I just don't think that's where any realistic traction today or in the next couple of years is going to be for Idaho. The other conference to look at, Dallas, you referenced the WAC, which that's FCS. And hey, that is smaller potatoes, I guess, if you're a guy who still is just just dreaming of that FBS uh, classification. Th- that won't change FBS classification for Idaho, but. If the WAC is able to salvage football, it's going to be because it snags a couple of schools. It's had a, it has an affiliation with the Atlantic Sun Conference, to so th- those two conferences combined to be the like WAC A Sun to so that they get the automatic playoff berth. I don't think that's a long term thing that either conference really wants to to have happening. If the WAC is a if the WAC is interested and able to po- I mean, they poach Southern Utah, so that means they're fine for the drags of the Big Sky. So if they can take someone like a Northern Colorado, which geographically could fit, uh, I don't think Northern Arizona wants to leave. And I don't think the big sky conference wants Northern Arizona to leave, especially because of championships in uh, track and field and other Olympic sports that Northern Arizona brings. But, you know, that's a school that geographically you could understand Northern Arizona saying, well, look, we have pretty easy travel now with the tech, with the Texas footprint and the kind of intermountain footprint a little bit of the whack. If that happens and the big sky loses a couple schools, I, I mean, I think that's a net win for Vandal fans. But realistically, I think Idaho fans need to just sit tight, enjoy that you're in one of the better FCS conferences, 
and understand that the next thing that's probably going to impact Idaho football is if look, Jason Neck brought this up in an interview he did uh, in Boise, not on Johnny Ball Games show, which we're going to get to that. Um, that it looks like Idaho's, it looks like college football is moving towards tiers. It's kind of like, I mean, we've talked about Rob Spear famously, uh, kind of believed that he was ahead of his time uh, in terms of believing that f- college football would evolve into tiers. But right now we're seeing the, with the money from NIL and with the money from TV, we kind of have, like you said, a power two conference, two gigantic conferences becoming relative to the money from NIL, more or less semi-pro football. And in terms of tectonic shifts, Dallas, later on, you may, I, I think it's not going to be shocking to see that eventually there's going to be some consolidation between the G5 and some of the top half of the FCS, which right now Idaho is in the top half of the FCS. But that's a few shifts away. And that's probably a couple years away in terms of anything changing for Vandal fans right now. So my, my overall takeaway is we're, we're getting, look, we know from our listeners, we know from people we talk with more people, increasingly the dialogue around Idaho football is less. Hey, why can't we be in different conference and more? Hey, I like the guy we have as head coach. Let's get some wins. Let's, let's get some butts and seats. Let's move this in the right direction. That's where Idaho fans, you just need to be okay with that being where we're at for the next few years. And as the football landscape itself changes, things may change for Idaho, but I'm going to throw it back to you, Dallas. I just don't see an immediate change in it's not happening this year. And I don't, I think Idaho needs a couple more steps before anything changes. Absolutely. Uh, I do want to issue a a correct uh, correction from Jason Mayer. Jason, I'm sorry. I never remember if it's Meyer or Mayer. I'm going to go with Mayer. And if it's Meyer, please let me know in the chat. Uh, He pointed out, what about University of Hawaii? Is University of Hawaii one of the, or University of Hawaii, one of those R1 institutes that could move to the Pac-12? I, they are. I didn't consider them because the rest of their sports are in the Big West. I don't see any team moving from the Big West to the Pac-12. Same as the joke I, that I made on Twitter uh, at the beginning of uh, of this realignment talk. Hey, Idaho used to be in the Pac-12. Let's let's bring Idaho to the Pac-12. Like it's, I think it's just a non-starter. Uh, the comment section going off. Uh, could Washington or Oregon go independent? I, I don't think independent is going to be the answer for anybody right now. I think where we're headed is this tiers system. I think that the power conferences are going to end up breaking off completely, move away from the NCAA with football. I know that the FBS national championship is already not the, the official NCAA championship. Uh, don't get into those semantics with me. I think that the power five is, or what exists of the power five, it might be just the big 10 and the SEC at that point, are going to just break off and are going to do their own thing and host their own championship, have their own bowl games, and and just kind of treat it that way. That's where the money is. That's where things are going to go. Um, Being independent is probably going to leave you on the outside looking in on that and would probably put you into that second tier, like Brian's saying, of the G5 and probably the, the the higher tiers of the FCS. Big Sky probably being in there, and then there's probably going to be a third tier for the lower half of the FCS that you know, is like the pioneer league. They're not offering scholarships. What kid really wants to go there? That type of thing. This is all obviously projection here, but it does feel like we're still four to five years away from this really making a change that Idaho is going to notice right now. It's 
watch all of the big teams take slugfest just swings and and misses trying to make more money and more money and more money and once that kind of stabilizes a little bit and they have an idea of of where they're going because keep in mind there was all this talk that looked like it was going to happen there was going to be a 12 team college football playoff they were making this huge expansion and then the texas oklahoma thing happened and that completely died that completely died because they realized there's more money to be made here let's probably realistically let's cut out the middleman in five years and do it ourselves and and make a ton of money on the tv rights for that so what that what that means while all of this is going on the g5 and the fcs are kind of just going to sit here and spin their wheels until until there is a a large enough change at that level that it trickles down to us i I hate trickle down but that's what's going to happen there's really there's no home for idaho in the g5 right now i don't think there would have been had idaho state independent there's no money flowing through this. Like the, the NIL thing has been great for athletes at you know, Alabama and USC where they're, they're able to make millions or close to millions. It's not really hitting Idaho the same way. There's, there's not, there's just not a lot of money flowing at this level. So there's not a lot of change yet. Once the changes happen up top, we will see. I do think we're going to end up seeing that kind of tiered system. Maybe, maybe it invites Idaho playing Boise state again, because I assume Boise state is going to be stuck in the, the G5 or the second tier. I don't see them getting an offer to the Big 12 or or whatever power conferences may exist in five years. Maybe that opens the door for that kind of thing because Idaho is able to find themselves in kind of that second tier of schools that care about football, care about winning, but but can't compete at the national championship level. Yeah, I want to read from the comments section. A guy, some of you guys might know, his handle is Johnny Ballgame Show. Uh, he brings up that uh, he says there's no way University of Washington or University of Oregon can generate that type of TV money on their own to go independent. I'm just, I just need to address this because Idaho fans were independent, then got into a conference and then some were upset that we didn't become independent. I don't think many institutions think of independence as anything but a bridge to nowhere. The schools that can be, that are successfully independent are Usually they, they have some atypical situation that you can't generalize to a school like us. For example, BYU. Well, they've got an entire international community that is game to support BYU. That's why BYU is fine being independent. Notre Dame is a singular historic brand in college football with a that Notre Dame has fans of people who had nothing to do with the institution and never will have anything to do with the institution. That is only because of how Notre Dame has been historically and has just had money in it forever. That that's not Idaho. New Mexico state did get into a conference that by the way, I have no interest in Idaho joining, but even if Idaho remained independent conference USA didn't extend invitations to everyone independent. The, a lot of, a lot of schools are going, I know Oregon's not going to become UMass, but a lot of places are going to look at UMass and say, good Lord, independence has bought them nothing. UConn, independence has bought them nothing. So though Idaho did get to go from independent to Sunbelt for a couple of years. Most places, most places don't view independence as anything that you actually aspire to. But I want to, I want to transition a little bit of this Dallas to question for you. With what you talked about, you and I are essentially on the same page here of we think the future of anything changing for Idaho is that coalescing of G5 and better FCS institutions. If that's our future, how do you feel about where Idaho is today? 
I actually I feel better about Idaho right now than I have in a while. I I will wholeheartedly admit, and I think everybody knows it. I was all aboard the let's let's find a conference home. I don't want to do the independent thing. If FCS is what it is, let's go back to the FCS. If that's the only home we've got, we got kicked out of the Sun Belt because I, I I feel like not a lot of people have ever fully come to grips with this. We got kicked out of the Sun Belt because we weren't useful to them anymore. We were added to the Sun Belt because of money. They they needed to have 12 teams to have a conference championship game. That's why Idaho and New Mexico got invited to the Sun Belt in the first place. It wasn't anything that Idaho brought to the table. It was, well, if we bring Idaho and New Mexico in, we get to host a conference championship game and we get to hold a hold a game that's going to bring us in a bunch of money. The second that that rule changed and conferences can host conference championship games, however many teams they have, that's why Idaho and New Mexico State got shown the door immediately. So the reality there is Idaho didn't look very attractive to anybody. I feel much better about being in the big sky right now and we're 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 comfortable, we're happy. This is a good setup for us in the future. If we can start winning some games and people start talking about Idaho the way they talk about Montana and Montana State of they can move up, why don't they move up? That's that's the kind of talk you want to have right now. You want people to have some sort of interest in you no matter what kind of interest it is and that will at least move us a little bit closer to being in a good spot for the second tier when we're when we're inevitably there in three to five years. I my take is sim, is different. It's just a different angle. If you're, I want to compare Washington State or hey even Boise State to Idaho. When if this coalescing takes place, if you're Washington State, who look, there's no reason to think Washington State is going to be included at this point in that like power two or whatever that top tier is. It's going to be a representative loss for Washington State fans when they join, when if they join the Mountain West, or when this tectonic shift takes place and college football looks a little bit more classification, kind of like minor league baseball in terms of a few different categories that are closer to each other than like D two to D one right now. If you're a Washington State fan, you go from saying, "Well, historically we're in the Pac twelve, we're Power five, top of the top of the mountain." Now this is what we're doing. It's kind of hard. Vandal fans know that's a hard sell to get people excited about transitioning down. If you're Boise State for years, you've been dreaming about joining that Power Five conference in the sky, that and that dream's over. Even with things going together, it's going to take your fan base a couple of years to probably wholly get on board with. Let's win where we're at. Idaho is going to be a representative step up. It's going to be us saying, okay, now we're if this takes place, we're in the right category with the joining the Mac schools and some of the mountain West schools that we, our future schedules actually have us competing with in these next couple of years. And if honestly, if Idaho t- turns it around at all, like we've been hoping we're going to be in a place that's, that's all right. We're not going to be, we're not going to be out resourcing everyone, but as far as getting your fan base interested, our future is a step up. And I think that's a great place to be. I think it's great. I think it's, as more fans buy into the FCS and what it is, things are going to get better for Idaho. And when, if that FCS G5 merger happens, it's another step in the right, in the right direction for fans in terms of getting energetically engaged. And I want to bring up one more point about why I don't mind where we're at. I'm not complaining about the existence of NIL, but I, I, We'll say, I think the way NIL impacts some of the lower G5 schools and the FCS schools where dudes get a little bit of extra money. 
they, they already have their scholarships, but you know, they, they get, they get a couple extra dollars in their pocket for doing not that much work. I think that's the view a lot of fans find most palatable. So the, the college student, the college athlete experience is maybe closer to their experience as a college student. Whereas if you're talking, I think I read a university of Miami a quarterback recruit has, you know, like multi-million dollar NIL deal. Idaho can't, is never going to compete with that money. So I like that we're Jason Eck referred to the FCS as being a little bit more pure in my mind. I think that's more that FCS has football correctly bracketed in terms of the funding and the money overall allocated to it compared to the rest of the university. That actually gets me more interested in where we're at football wise Dallas. I mean, it, it, it is going to be at least the, the last safe haven of the pageantry of college football, I think. Uh, the, the the Rose Bowl, anybody that, that cares about FBS and the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl is dead at this point. I know that it was already kind of dead because it's rotated into the, the national championship games, but the Rose Bowl is dead at this point. Like, the two biggest brands in the Pac-12 are gone, like, and, and went to the other side. Like, these, these types of things that are the historic, like, traditions of college football are starting to disappear. And the FCS is at least going to be the last kind of haven of that, of you still play the same local rivals that, you know, obviously different for Idaho, but for the Montanas, they're playing a bunch of the same schools they've played for a really long time. Like you, that, all of that is going to stay at least at this level, at least at the FCS for at least a little while longer. Now with, when the tiers end up inevitably happening, that might change some things, but it could change some things for the better because Something that we have sort of alluded to a little bit here is those damn donkeys down in Boise. Obviously, haven't seen a whole lot of each other since the whack fell apart. But maybe with a tier structure, if we're in the same tier, does that change? Does that does that make the future better for people? Is that is that enough for people to get excited about? Is there even potential that we could see that rivalry come back, Brian? There is, and we're going to get to that. Right after an ad read for Hughes River Expedition, we got to get that. We have viewers. We, we have to reward Colin for this. If you're looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental U.S. located right here in the great state of Idaho. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the middle fork of the salmon, the main salmon river, no return, the salmon river canyons, or the Selway. And you can even check out special trips like the one to see the Persed meteor shower. Camp on pristine beaches, run amazing white water, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, take in the history along the river and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the country. You just bring clothes? Let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandal owned and operated since 1976 and ready to, ready to take you on the vacation of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. And look, the question that Dallas brought up is scheduling a Boise State. Jason Eck talked about that on Johnny Ballgame's show. And again, thank you to our unofficial contributors, Johnny Ballgame and Jason Eck, for giving us these talking points. Okay, The reason why this was even a subject is uh, Eastern Washington signed a contract to play Boise State in 2025. Now, this Idaho wouldn't be able to play Boise State until 2026. And based on you guys just listened to us talk for 30 minutes about how college football is changing. God knows what schedule contracts for 2026 are even going to matter at that point. But it's a topic that I've 
I've had this discussion with other Vandal fans and friends about Boise State and Idaho playing. And the question isn't, are we going to? Because right now it's not on the table. But Jason X said he'd like to schedule Boise State. He wants to play more regional games. I want to do just a, a short discussion, Dallas. We'll go through merits and uh, demerits of scheduling Boise State. But, you know, question, should Boise, should Idaho try to schedule Boise State? Now things are different. Let's go through first Dallas what are some of the potential reasons a scheduling Boise State could make sense for Idaho? If, of course, two it takes two to tango, so Boise State has to get over themselves and do it. But Jay's next point, look, if you're going to schedule Eastern, why in God's name wouldn't you schedule Idaho in terms of getting, fan, getting fans and seats, making money? Throw it over to you. I mean, the, the pros here are obviously Idaho has nothing to lose. If Idaho schedules Boise State in football, there is absolutely nothing to lose. Nobody will bat an eye if Idaho loses 70-7 to to Boise State. That, that is expected at this point. The only thing they can do is, is look better than what people would expect. So that's the first benefit. Second benefit, the game's obviously going to be in Boise. There's no way in hell Boise State is coming back to Moscow under the current setup of college football. Just not going to happen. So if anybody thinks that, just pump the brakes on that right, right now. Going down to Boise, playing in Boise, in obviously the biggest hub of Vandal alumni, that that at least is going to bring a little bit more interest back to the team. There's like Rack of Tits 69. We hadn't heard from Rack of Tits 69 in, in years. And then all of a sudden, Eck comes in and says, hey, look, I'm a little excited. I, I want to commit to refinding my love for Vandal football at this level. Playing Boise State is a really good way to bring some people back to Idaho football. Sure, yeah, you're going to watch them go get pasted by Boise State. But you can watch your Vandals right there in Boise, just like the old days. Yes, it's probably not going to be a great game, but they're there. It gets them back in your mind and gets people back interested in the team. Because that's where, I mean, that's really the excitement is what was what we need to be focused on over the next couple of years, bringing the fan base back. Because obviously the end of the, the Petrino years, uh, Kibbe Dome was empty. So... Those are the two biggest benefits I see. There's a bunch of cons I could also point out, but Brian, do you have other pros that you wanted to bring up? And Brian, you're muted. It was, it was just going to happen. It just had to. So one, one pro that I want to bring up of scheduling Boise State or any Mountain West team is that, look, if Idaho is going to live in a world where for, to make money, we have to schedule two FBS games a season, we want one to be against a G5 institution. And the money we make from those G5s games, it's actually not, it's not that different from some of our power five games we have in the future. So some numbers for a comparison real quick. When we pay, play Washington State, we this season, we're going to make $575,000 from that game, which pretty damn good deal for Idaho, especially because travel is virtually non-existent. When we play Cal, in 2023 more travel we're going to make 650,000 now in our next two g5 games right off the top of my head that i found to look at in 2023 we also play nevada mountain west team we make 400,000 in 2024 we play wyoming another mountain west team we make 425,000 so it is 150-ish k less for those mountain west games but if we're in the world where we need to schedule a couple of these we need we want one of at least one of them to be against a Mountain West school or uh, for region, regionality's sake, Mountain West is the only G5 
conference to look at. But in terms of competition, we'd rather have it against a Mac institution or a Sunbelt institution than a Big 12 institution as far as having a chance of winning. Well, BSU is a good Mountain West team, but they check that box. Of they're not out, they're annihilating Idaho based off of resources, but it's not the same as playing Indiana in at Indiana. It's not the same as playing, you know, Idaho played USC previously. It's just not resource wise. It's, it's, it's an ocean between us, but it's not the Pacific Ocean between us. The other benefit for me is I'd. Jason X doing the right thing of trying to get fans into, into Idaho football by reaching out. But a point he brought up in the ball game interview about playing regional teams. I really think if this tier thing is happening into the future, a lot of fan fan base interest is going to mirror baseball and that there's not many baseball teams. I'm talking major league baseball right now. There's not many major league baseball teams that are going to magnetize a ton of eyes nationally. If it's not the world series, but regionally, those base, baseball gets a lot of interest at the local level. I think this is where F, the G5 FCS money is going to be made in just kicking ass in terms of getting people already close to where you live interested. And look, that Idaho playing Boise State, it's not a rivalry in the same sense and that we're not the same classification, but it's an absolutely a rivalry uh, in terms of energy in the state. And to respond to the point you brought up of, hey, Idaho's probably going to get killed. When was the last time Idaho had a single score win or loss against Boise State Dallas? I, I didn't give you any prep for this. Just curious. When do you think that was? That's a great question. I would probably guess the late 90s. You're correct. The last single score game between Idaho and Boise State is the last time Idaho beat Boise State in Boise, November 21st, 1998, a 36-35 overtime win. Since 98, and that this, this is games from 99 to 2010, 2010's last time Idaho and Boise State played, there was really only two competitive-ish games in terms of final score in uh, 2003, Idaho lost in in Moscow 24 to 10. And in 2006, Idaho lost to Boise State in Moscow 42 to 26. And I was at that game. I'm not saying it was actually competitive. I'm just talking about box score gazing. Otherwise, there's a look, we have uh, 2000, Boise State wins 66 24. We have. 2004, Boise State wins 65 to 7. 2005, BSU wins 70 to 35. We've got 2007, BSU wins 48 to 15. The next year, they win 45 to 10. The next year, 63 to 25. The final game in 2010, Boise State wins 52 to 14. Even if Idaho gets killed, like, I mean, that's what will be different, what will look different in terms of those box scores as far as reasons why to schedule. But we now we got to shift to cover the other part too, because there are some reasons to be skeptical about scheduling this game. Dallas, what are some that come to your mind? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is how many Vandals actually want to watch that. Um, I know that a lot of people might say that right now, like, yeah, I want to see Boise State Idaho play again. But after the third possession, when it's probably twenty-one zero after a touchdown, a pick six, and a touchdown, like. Is it is it just going to completely empty? Like 2010, I couldn't get tickets to that game. I was 
for some reason, actually, I remember why I was, I was on academic probation. That's why I was going to my classes. I didn't go get in line to get tickets to that game when they released it at like eight o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, because I, I knew I was going to flunk out of school if I didn't stay in class. So I didn't go, uh, because I couldn't get a ticket. Uh, some people tried to sell me theirs and I was too cheap to buy one. And then you watching it on TV and 10 minutes into the first quarter, the Kibbe Dome is almost empty already because people are just starting to, to file out. I think that game ended up 45 to zero before it ended up 52, 14. I think it was 45. Zero. Anyways, who, like who really wants to watch that? Like the, all that's going to do is demoralize the fan base even more is, is my fear. Um, it also, how many players want to go play the rival and get absolutely pasted, assuming that's what happens. Like it just, it's just one of those things that there's, there is the big specter of, do you kill the momentum of your football team when we're talking about college football and, and the pageantry and momentum and like things that, I mean, they're, they're 18 to 22 year old kids, like momentum matters. Like their emotions matter. It's not the NFL where it's professional guys game in game out. You lose a game. It's, it is what it is. Like, these things are things that sit with people. Alex Boltman talked to us about how much it hurt losing to Idaho State, and he would still bring it up years later. Like, this this matters to kids. And if you go schedule the old rivalry and bring it back and and then you lose by 60 points, like, does that really do anything other than give you a big check? You could have gotten lost to anybody else without that emotional dagger through your heart. That's the big, that's the big drawback for me. And then the other thing is do you actually bring more eyes to Boise state in the fact that they beat Idaho and now you can, now they have even more bragging rights. Hey, we didn't play you for 10 years and we beat the shit out of you again. Like do, does it inspire more people to become Boise state fans because they watched Boise state, Idaho on TV and said, Oh, well yeah, Boise state's better. I'm going to be a fan of them. Like, do you, do you engage that fan base? That sucks. Like uh, Rakuten sixty nine saying, "What if we beat them, Dallas? That is that is the biggest pro. If if we won that game, that changes everything. But come on, let's let's talk about things that are really going to happen. And then Boise uh, Boise's own Johnny Ball game again. KTIK Prater in the ball game. Great show. Would it matter more getting your ass kicked by Boise State rather than Indiana? To me, not really. An ass kicking is an ass kicking, and." I'm kind of thankful if it was Indiana and I don't have to think about them ever again, rather than Boise state kicking the shit out of us. And then I have to sit and stew on it for 10 years. Like I still have the fucking 2010 game still in my head and Kellen Moore doing the thumbs up. And that, that image is burned in my brain and hatred is just spewing out of me in every pore thinking about it. So that those are, that's the con for me. The, the, the cons for me are first off in terms of money East Boise state is paying Eastern Washington, 360,000 to come there in 2025. Now that's not that much less than Wyoming paying us 425,000 or Nevada paying us 400,000. But if you're scheduling games, cause you have to make money, like there is a cutoff point at some point where your G five school is not yet paying enough for this to, for this to be worth it. I mean, honestly, at 360000 for Eastern Washington to go to Boise, look, Idaho is paying Drake 250000 this year to come to Moscow. Three hundred sixty puts you not that far from that 250 ish number to maybe go travel and play another FCS team and have a chance at another win. 
And though I, I think having these regional games and driving interest will help get eyes on the program, the main thing Idaho needs to do first is win. And if 100,000 is a difference between very likely losing by 700 or playing an FCS team that we that will count for the playoffs if we pick off the win on the road, the, again, there is a point where you say, okay, well, look, there's this scheduling these games is a cross-section between money made and chances of winning. If you're getting down that 300 number, I'd probably say just, just eat the few thousand, make sure you have a power five game scheduled and have that be your schedule to try to try to give, get a chance to have a couple win an extra win on the schedule. The other is now that doesn't mean that look, that doesn't mean that I'm right here. It's just, there is realistically in terms of making a budget, there is a number where the G5 just isn't quite paying enough to make it matter. To me, 360 is starting to approach that number if there would be parity between the Eastern contract and Idaho contract for a theoretical Boise State game in the future. The second is, in terms of getting eyes on the program, if Idaho loses by 7,000, look, X been recruiting Idaho quite strongly um, relative to how Petrino did. X been hitting the ground regionally quite a bit. He's been open about wanting to kind of own recruiting in some of the states that they're just the names are not quite as sexy because other programs do fine. Like North Dakota does fine getting a lot of recruits from the Dakotas. Montana does fine. They don't only recruit Montana, but they Montana and Montana state dominate recruiting in the state of Montana. And it does not hurt their program to do so. Jason X talked about doing Idaho's version of that in this area. And there's concern that look, if regionally you get your ass kicked in the biggest city in this area, that is going to hurt you in terms of that will reputationally hurt you in some sort of way. Those to me are kind of the two biggest detractors to why you would do this. And look, there's no reason Boise state, the, we all know this, the best cure for erectile dysfunction of Boise state fan is being able to say that some schools are not a rival and to be dismissive of some other school. You, you know, if Boise state were game to do this contract, the, Boise State would be okay hanging 70 again on Idaho, which means if Idaho couldn't stop it, the game could look pretty ugly. Look, think about that Penn State game from, was it 2018 Dallas when we played Penn State? I think it was 2018 or, it was 2018 or 2019 when Idaho played Penn State. Now it's a di- look, different coach, different, re- different reality, but Idaho looked pretty damn bad losing 70 to 7. Correction, 79 to 7. It was August 31st, 2019. Okay, 2019, 79 to 7. Idaho looked pretty much like a joke losing like that. Now, I don't think Boise State is Penn State, Penn State, but I don't think Boise State would mind trying to do their own version of that if they could. So I guess the question you'd have is if you're a Vandal fan, part of why you would not want to schedule this is you've seen Idaho's recent history. And though we're stoked for Jason Eck, we still have to actually see the team play games before we can extrapolate too much. So if you have Vandal PTSD about previous games, you probably reasonably think, well, until there's reason not have my PTSD, this is a scheduled local ass kicking to not make enough money. And I, I do want to point out, uh, you know, Tits mentioned, hey, FCS upsets happen. They absolutely do. Ball game mentioned, Eck wants this game, let's support him. If they scheduled this game for, let's say, 2026, four years from now, this might be a different conversation. This might be a, yeah, Idaho's consistently in the top 25 of the FCS, maybe even in the top 15 of the FCS. Let's do this game. Let's see what happens. 
But right now where Idaho is one of the worst teams in the big sky and has been the whole time they've dropped down and never found any success with Paul Petrino outside of one magical year, there's no reason for me to think that that it's it's going to mean anything. But again, we're, we're not talking about playing the game this fall. Like We're not seeing this game in two months. This game would be five, six, seven years down the road. This could be completely different. Boise State could fall off a cliff. Fingers crossed. Idaho could start winning games. Like I know that's a really foreign concept for most of us, but Idaho could have found the right guy and could turn the program around. So there is there is the chance that the the optics of this game are completely different. And maybe Idaho comes in and and realistically Boise State can't just look at them like a punching bag. That there is a chance. So Tubbs of the Club Supreme Court, Dallas, you need to give your you need to give your ruling on this. Uh, should Idaho pursue scheduling Boise State? And the earliest it could happen is 2026. Should Idaho pursue scheduling Boise State in 2026? Gun to my head, yes. Not by a blowout margin, but gun to my head, yes. It's far enough in the future that you hope that you can get the football program turned around. Maybe this game ends up meaning something at that point. I'm going to say, now, I'm going to state the subtext that I think your answer has embedded, Dallas. We're not talking about annual scheduling here. We're talking about a one-off and see what happens. Because if this if this was a question about should we annually schedule that game, one, again, Boise State has to want to, but two, I'm probably going to say no, not annually. But as a one-off in 2026, I got to say, like, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. I'm not super far into, Hey, this is the best idea Vandal football could have, but it's look of all the dumb things Vandal fans have had to live with. This would not be close to the dumbest. We're living that with basketball right now, but you know, if Idaho is stronger in 2026 and we're making a decent amount of money, it hits that it checks that box of at least we're scheduling a mountain West team. The money would need to be right. And to me, that means it's probably got to be at least 400,000 for this to make sense. Because if we're, Look, realistically, if Idaho's at like 360,000 for this game, I'd probably rather have a scheduled road FCS game and have a better chance of picking up a win relative to the money. But if we're going to get paid comparably what we are to play Wyoming and Nevada, yeah, I, I've wanted us to play G5 teams. This, this checks the box. There's reason to say some people be interested in, and like Ballgame said, X motivated about it. X been right about a lot of stuff. As a one-off, I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd be game schedule i'd be i'd be trying to get to that game if it were scheduled and i do i i do think that it's just to, to kind of loop this back to the conversation we had at the beginning if we do end up seeing a tiers system and we see the the power conferences or whatever is left for the power conferences have completely split off and the g5 and the fcs are kind of in this weird tier two system then at that point it might make more sense to schedule that game every other year or every third year or maybe even try to do it every year and make it make some sort of connection there but the only way that happens is if the tiers system happens or idaho gets this hail mary invite to the mountain west or some some sort of equalizer between the teams but right now i completely agree as a one-off maybe every four or five years sure but i don't want to see this as a game that is the consistent just punching bag game that every other year or Idaho's just taking a payday 
to go down and get pasted. I, I don't have any interest in that. But as a one-off to see what's going to happen five years from now, four years from now, great. Yeah, as far as a template for our schedule, I would rather see us play a road FCS game and pair that with losing by 5,000 5, to Alabama than regularly having a game at BSU because the money is not that good and the chance to win is not nearly as good as a road, road FCS game, which could pay around 250. Like I said earlier, Idaho is paying Drake 250,000 for a road FCS game. Idaho would have to be able to make that money too. We only have a couple more minutes and um, this has gone longer. Talk about these two topics than we thought. I want to hit real quick on a couple points that Jason Neck brought up in his interview with Johnny Ballgame, again, unofficial correspondent. Uh, first, I'm just going to bring up a point, and I want to hear your reaction, Dallas. Jason Eck made it clear. Luke Schleisner, offensive coordinator, is going to be the play caller, or at the very least, call the overwhelming majority of plays. You should listen to that interview on June 30th. It's a standalone episode in the uh, Prater and Ballgame podcast stream so you should definitely go listen to it it there's some tidbits that are worth going over jason neck is fun because that's who he is but you heard luke schleisner is going to be calling the overwhelming majority of the plays what was your reaction thank god it was my immediate reaction Uh, i know that it's most of the time that you know the head coach whether he's the offensive guy or the defensive guy usually he's the guy calling the plays on that side of the ball and that's just that's the reality of it but what we just saw is Nine years of that not working for Paul Petrino. I mean, you can take the one year that, yes, they made it to the bowl game. They won the bowl game. Like, fantastic. I think Brian and I are also kind of negative about that season and how they beat up a bunch of cupcakes. If you don't because believe they it, did. Look it up. They they beat a bunch of cupcakes. It, it just it was what it was. You play who you play. To be fair, they capitalized on it. They won a bowl game. Fuck yeah. But the rest of the time, we saw that not really work. X reasoning was was fantastic. Again, I beg you to listen to Prater in the Ball Game. Go find that episode. Give them the follow. Give them the listen. Shout them out. X said that he wants to be a head coach. He's seen that the head coach is better when he's involved in everything. And if he was the play caller, he just he he cuts off the defense. He does not build the relationships with the defensive guys that he needs to and wants to. And I love that. I, I love the idea of the head coach should be the CEO. I mean, maybe not. See that could get into this large capitalist discussion. I don't want to. I don't want to make it that kind of discussion. But the the, F, the head coach should be the guy that's in charge and has his finger on just kind of every single spot and has a little bit of knowledge everywhere and lets the guys he hired do their thing. And that's that's very comforting to me to see that the offensive coordinator is going to be the stereotypical offensive coordinator. X is going to let him do his thing and he's going to focus on being a head coach and not being a play caller. I'm going to co-sign pretty much all that with the asterisk of, look, we know look, this is kind of the template like Aaron Best does at Eastern. Aaron Best lets their OC call plays, but that doesn't mean Aaron Best doesn't get – Aaron Best always gets to decide officially what to play they're being called. So if he doesn't like a call, Aaron Best can can say, nope, put my foot, foot down. This is what we're doing. Jason X still is going to have the ability to jump in and do that, and he more or less said he's going to on, on his interview with Prater in the ballgame. But overall – I mean, I, I like all the rationale about coaching the entire team. Uh, and we have the observations we were given from practice in the spring really match this of Eck wasn't just in one place. 
Eck was Eck was pretty much trying to be the culture he was trying to have is one that's kind of like aggressively positive, which doesn't mean that they he doesn't give corrections, but that look if the defense is being the shit out of the offense, he's not going to necessarily spend all his time screaming at the offense. He's going to be pumping the defense up. Well, that sounds like a guy who wants to have connected tissues in all facets of the team. So, no, dude makes ton of sense, and it's another way of saying he's said it on our show. He said it on other people's shows. He has complete trust in Luke Schleisner. So, I look. I'm fine with this. I think I, I don't have anything to complain about whatsoever. I honestly think it shows flexibility of thinking that Idaho has needed and that we've praised Jason Eck for for showing flexibility of thinking in other ways. For example, saying, "Look, I can't tell you what our offense is going to be. We have to see." what the hell what kind of talent we have and what works best for us that's going to dictate the offense well this fits in line perfectly with a guy with a guy who said that earlier um anything any other points from the interview dallas you want to hit on nothing that comes to mind again this is a great plug go listen to ktik prater in the ball game you can find their podcast feed just by searching for i think Prater in the ball game or KTIK, or you can probably even just type in Jason Eck and you're going to be able to find it. Like go take a listen. You're going to hear a whole lot more right from the horse's mouth rather than just through us. But I, I do just want to fully reiterate. I love, I love the way that Eck is handling this program so far. Yeah. That's why you guys should give Ty Graham a, a call at the ticket office. Make sure you buy your season tickets, which I still have to do, but I'm going to do. Um, we, we actually hit on a ton of other points Jason Eck talked about in the interview already, just going through topics and realignment, scheduling BSU, uh, FCS itself as an entity compared to the FPS. But again, give the, give uh, give Prater and Ballgame the download. Before we call it a day, um, I want to make sure that – quick announcement, guys. Big Sky Media Days is coming up on July 25th. That's a Monday. I will be there as you represent representative from Tubbs of the club, but this is now a thing we're going to do that relates to our hashtag only Tubbs members joined at patreon.com backslash Tubbs of the club. We're going to post a link in our only Tubbs discord for our big sky for our big sky conference media poll, which is say we are absolutely going to give patrons a say in the official poll that we submit. That link is going to hit the discord Within two seconds of this show concluding, I already have the link up to copy and paste. We're going to do two things. One, the average of that poll is what we're going to submit for media days. Second, the that poll from our patrons, we're going to use as the auto draft feature in our Big Sky Conference preview, where we're going to continue, continue to do the snake draft to go through the teams. But patrons are going to have a direct say also in how our overall poll works out. I actually like the idea of that auto draft because it, it can add some, some chaos by like, you just have no say of, okay. Patron said, this is number three team. This is number three team. It could completely screw up the rest of your poll because the big sky conference has a lot of uh, turnover in meaningful ways that we don't know yet how to project, but you want to take part, you want to be a contributor to the tubs, of the club media poll, join us at patreon.com backslash tubs, of the club. If you're a patron, this is going to be this is going to be available for you. It's a drop down voting system. If you can handle a drop down menu twelve times, you can handle this poll. I mean, we are Idaho grads. We can at least figure that out. If we were talking to the Boise State people that figured out how to listen to podcasts and YouTube videos, 
12 clicks might be a little bit difficult for those folks, but you guys are all vandals. You're all smart. You'll figure it out. And Dallas, I weirdly, we're actually on time at just over an hour. Uh, 20, 20 plus viewers still because we didn't talk about basketball, uh, which actually it shouldn't even be that harsh because listen to our last episode. There's reasons to be interested in the upcoming recruiting class. Uh, last thing that I forgot to bring up, because this is the routine we have of bring up a topic, close the topic, bring it up. Jason Eck on the ball game interview talked about the light changes inside the dome, which is, I don't know. I don't know electrical shit. So I'm not gonna pretend I do, but essentially we're going to have the type of lighting that we can like when it never Idaho scores a touchdown, it can be like a light show. Uh, it can add to the game production. Uh, don't know if there's too much to discuss on that other than, Better game production isn't going to hurt anything for Idaho Dallas. Not at all. Um, the The resurfacing of the track looks awesome. And for the very first time, I have thought, you know what? I wouldn't mind if Idaho played on colored turf. Let's make it black. Let's commit to just getting rid of the black in our uniforms. Let's go back to our colors of silver and gold. Let's play on black turf. Let's do it. Let's get weird. And because Rakitic is really upset about me talking about basketball, I do have to add real quick. I have reached out to the basketball team multiple times about trying to get an invite to go watch a scrimmage and no news yet. I will continue the pestering so I can give you guys actual news, but we're look, we're in the world of football, man. We're not going to have much talk about basketball for a very long time. Um, that's it, man. I don't have anything else to add. We have me media days. We're going to have our regular recording schedule out pretty dang quick, but uh, we're not going to, we're not going to be on next week, but we'll probably be on after media days. With that, it is time for the best band in the land or whoever the hell Dallas picks now to play us out, which I don't know if you have that prepped because producer Martin is not here. Producer Martin will be joining us later. I'm always day. prepped, Brian. Always prepped. Oh, for Christ's sake. Of course you are. Okay. Well, you know what? Dallas is going to play us out. Go Vandals. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.